Spring of Life Fellowship and the vision of changing the world invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Let's listen to our guest. Good morning, church. Oh, come on. Good morning. My wife, Becky, and I are so... um, genuinely excited to be back at Spring of Life again. We, we love our Miami family. Is that okay? We're, we're family today, isn't that right? Becky, why don't you stand 35 years of marriage and ministry together? Hallelujah. And it just keeps getting better every year. I love the heart that this fellowship has for marriages and men and missions in the uttermost parts of the earth. We really do feel at home here. Pastor Joaquin Yvette, thank you so much for receiving us. We're excited to open the word with you today. Are you excited to get into God's word today? I believe he's got a word for us today. Amen? Well, let's, let's begin with a question this morning. I want to take a few minutes just to introduce what God has us doing before we jump into scripture. But uh, picture this with me. What is 750,000 miles long? At that length, it would go around the circumference of the earth 30 times and it gets 20 miles longer every day. Do you have that image in your mind? 750,000 miles long, 30 times around the earth, 20 miles longer every day. Folks, that is the line of the lost on planet earth today. If you took every person that has yet to discover life and love in Jesus Christ, and you put them shoulder to shoulder, that line would go around the earth 30 times. It grows 20 miles longer every day. And at this season of life, my wife and I have one passion, and that is to shorten that line. Amen? I mean, isn't that why we are all on planet Earth is to shorten that line to help people uh, from Miami to the, to the nations to understand and receive life and love through Jesus Christ. So about four years ago, 2009, you ever have God do one of these in your heart? And you think, God, I love what I'm doing right now. But uh, in our early 50s, God called us to step out in faith in the middle of a recession and start a brand new missions organization by faith. And uh, we, we started a ministry called the Agora Group. Now, Agora is the Greek word for marketplace in the Bible. In Acts 17, 17, the Bible says that the Apostle Paul was daily in the Agora or daily in the marketplace. And we think that's where the church ought to be every day. Daily in the marketplace, daily in the world of ideas and agendas, uh, making a difference, testing positive for Jesus, and influencing culture, not being the influence. Amen? So, so in fact, the, Greek, the, the verb tense, agorizo, literally means to redeem or buy back in the marketplace. And that sense of marketplace redemption, we love it. So two huge mandates now in our life, all right? Two God-given mandates. One is, is that... Um, Yeah, don't let the white hair fool you. We refuse to grow up. And we love this emerging generation. I want to be the old guy like Caleb that says, give me my mountain. I'm going to go into with the next generation to possess the land. Anybody with me on that, huh? So so we have a college now. We have a university. It's based in Cleveland, Ohio. It's called the Agora School for Global Leadership. Fully accredited, an extension of Valley Forge Christian College, designed for every major. Here's a one-minute video clip of what God has us doing with this college, all right? Are you ready to make a difference in this world? Ready to live your life on purpose and for Christ? Ready to start or continue your undergraduate degree? Now you can do all three at the same time. We are the Agora School for Global Leadership. We are looking for students ready to change their world. Students who will engage the hurting and broken through compassion and love. Students who will roll up their sleeves and serve like Jesus. Take real courses 
for real credit while participating in domestic and international missions experiences. Grow in God and missions with new friends while forming personal relationships with amazing professors. Be mentored by Christian leaders in your future profession while being connected to one of the fastest growing churches in America. So who says you have to wait until after college to make a difference? Work on your degree, discover your destiny, and travel with purpose. The Agora School for Global Leadership. The world is our campus. Amen. At Agora, the world really is our campus. Our students take 15 credit hours a semester, five three-credit classes. Every class is designed to shape heart and head. They are immersed in personal discipleship and mentoring every week. Uh, they're involved in 12 to 15 hours a week of ministry in inner city Cleveland, Ohio. We work with second grade students in an elementary school twice a week. And this is an, uh, a public elementary school where every student in that school is an immigrant child born in another country. We have kids from the Sudan. We have kids from all over Latin America. We have kids from Azerbaijan. We have kids from Albania. We have kids from the Ukraine. Uh, we have kids from Nepal. And we are mentoring students. Uh, we are for any major, as you saw on the screen, the second semester. Semester, we take the last month of our second semester and we travel abroad with our students. We've been uh, in the Peruvian Amazon, remote in tribal villages. We've been in uh, Vietnam. We've been in Thailand. And we are seeing amazing life change in students. In fact, uh, our goal is simply this, to, to link, help every student link their career track to God's great commission. In fact, at Agora, we say there's no such thing as career tracks, only callings. Career tracks are things that society says, pick one out where you think you'll make the most money to be happiest in a job. Callings are something that God puts on us because he's got a big dream for our life. Isn't that right? There's a big difference between picking out a career track or understanding your God-given calling. And at Agora, we specialize in helping students uh, discover God's big dream for their life. Uh, we are about one-third the cost of typical college, Christian college education as well. Uh, so most of our students attend for less than $10,000 a year, and it's an amazing opportunity. We do summer abroad trips. We just got back from uh, the Peruvian Amazon for the month of July. Our students earned three college credits while they were with us. And, um, um, in fact, uh, the college that we work with, Valley Forge Christian College, where our transcripts come from, um, they allow us to take high school juniors and seniors with us to the Amazon every summer. High school juniors and seniors are earning three college credits before they graduate from high school. How cool is that? They're waiting for you when you graduate, so they'll transfer to any university you choose to go to. If you're interested in what God's doing through the Agora School for Global Leadership, we're loving seeing students come alive to their call in Christ. And uh, if you have some questions, hon, we've got a table, isn't that right? And uh, we'd love to talk with you, moms, dads, students, whatever the case may be. Now, the second thing God has us doing, and we never saw this one coming, but we have the joy now of working with unreached people groups. It's like, pinch me, we get to do this. We've prayed for unreached people groups for 25 years, and now we are working in the nation of Columbia. We've got about 30 uh, young Colombians that have become our spiritual kids we're working in 38 out of the 80 indigenous tribes in the nation of Columbia with over 250 village church plants. Our goal is 500 village churches by the year 2015, and our prayer is to reach every unreached tribe in Columbia with the gospel. Hallelujah. Well, there are still 15 totally unreached tribes in the nation of Columbia, and uh, we're involved in leadership training. We're helping them develop all their discipleship curriculums uh, for these unreached tribes. So we, now, we travel with tent and sleeping bag from the Andes to the Amazon. Come on, do I look like a tent and sleeping bag guy to anybody in the room? God's got a sense of humor, doesn't he? But we travel with tent and sleeping bag, and we love working with these young emerging leaders. 
And it's really interesting to be in places where everything's brand new with the church. Everything's fresh. With the Guajibo tribe up on the Venezuelan border, uh, teaching young leaders, there are about 100 of them a couple of years ago. Pastor, pastor, our people want to know, now that they're Christians, do they still grow cocaine to feed their families? Colombia's been in civil war for 60 years. The, the guerrilla forces have always forced the farmers to grow cocaine to fund the war against the government. To not do it is to put your entire family at risk. Pastor, what do we do? Pastor, pastor, our people want to know, now that they're Christians, if Jesus doesn't heal their daughter, do they still go to the witch doctors? I mean, the Guajibo tribe is a tribe that still believes that if a woman gives birth to twins, there's something inherently evil about that, and they kill both babies. So the tribes need Jesus. A young friend of ours, Diego, a member of the Arawakos tribe, a very proud tribe up in the northern Andes. Uh, Diego, uh, the gospel had never been there. This tribe let no missionaries in, let no politicians in, very private. Diego left the tribe to work on his education, was led to Christ, ended up at our school where for three years he studied linguistics, community development, and theology. Every time he would go home, he would be beaten for his faith. Tribal elders would say, Diego, you'll never plant a church on our Waco soil. Don't even think about it. But he graduated 2010, November. By December, he had baptized nine Arawakos people. Hallelujah. They still meet underground in predetermined spots at midnight in the Andes. They'll walk for two or three miles to a predetermined spot where they will worship and study the word and encourage one another. He now has two village congregations. He has over 30 baptized believers. And for the first time in the history of the world, praise is going to the throne of God in the Arawakos tongue. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. The last three months, we have had a team remote in the Amazon on a tributary uh, working among five unreached tribes. It's the second summer that we've had them go in, led by a young couple, Mauricio and Yvonne, who sold a very, uh, a, 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 a very solid veterinarian business at the call of God, mid-30s. And um, our goal is to establish a permanent base in 2014 in the midst of these five tribes. And on that team, there's a, uh, there's a young lady by the name of Vitalia. Vitalia's about that tall. She's from the Lake Tuama tribe, had never heard the gospel because the gospel had never been to her tribe, left her tribe to grow in her knowledge of Spanish. There in the city of Leticia and the southernmost part of uh, Colombia and the Amazon, she was led to Christ by two of our young Colombian missionaries. And she said one day she's reading, as she's being discipled, she'd re she's reading her Spanish New Testament. She said, as I was reading, I remembered a dream I had when I was a little girl. She said, in this dream, a man came to me. I didn't know who he was. He asked me to take care of these. She said, I didn't know what they were, some kind of animal I'd never seen in the jungle before. But she said, as I was reading my Spanish New Testament, my dream suddenly made sense. 20 years later, she said, the man in my dream was Jesus, and he wanted me to take care of sheep. And Vitalia knew that God was calling her to be a church planter in her tribe. And today, Vitalia has established four river congregations and villages in remote Amazon among the Lake Tuama tribe. The first churches ever among the Lake Tuama. She's the first indigenous church planter in Colombia that we know about. And, and she loves God with all of her heart. And I asked her uh, a while back, I said, Vitalia, how can we help you? And she says, well, I need two things. I said, what do you need? She said, I... Well, I need a chainsaw. She's that big. What are you going to do with a chainsaw? Well, she said, I've got congregations now, but I have no church buildings. I need a chainsaw to rip the wood so I can build the buildings for our churches. I said, what else do you need? She said, I need a 
I need a boat motor. I said, what do you need a boat motor for? She says, well, she paddles everywhere she goes. She says, there are Lake Tuama villages that I can't reach. If I have a boat motor, it means less time on the river, more time in ministry. So we've been able to supply Vitalia with her chainsaw and her boat motor, and she's going for it in God, and we, we love her heart. Now, one of the leaders on that team, her name is Betty. Betty is uh, 30 years old. She speaks five indigenous languages. And working among the Makuna tribe as, that had never received the gospel this last year, this summer team, she, ironically, she was sharing John 3.16 with this guy named Juan. And Juan, listening to the story of the gospel, said, How long ago did this man die? Betty said, oh, it's been 2,000 years now. Hmm. Did he die for me too? Yes, Juan, he did. Juan said this, do you mean a man died for me and nobody has ever told me? Why? Isn't that the million-dollar question? 2,000 years later, there are still between five and 7,000 unreached people groups on the face of the earth that do not yet have a worshiping presence, a church in their language and culture. Why? Juan was led to Christ. Eight other people in his village among the Makuna were led to Christ, baptized, and now we have the beginnings of the church of Jesus Christ in the Makuna tongue. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So these are some things that God is doing as God is immersing us in the nation of Colombia, working with all Colombians who have a heart to reach the tribes. And they go into these tribes, they raise up what they call their Timothys, which are the, which, which are the indigenous young men and women that are training to plant the church in villages where the church has never been before. And we get to do this. We get to do this. We covet your prayers. Okay. So let's turn to the Bible today to Acts chapter 26. Paul, toward the end of his life in the book of Acts, he is uh, uh, standing in defense, not so much of his life, although his life is on the line, but he's standing in defense of the gospel. He's standing before Festus. He's standing before uh, Felix. He's standing before Agrippa. And in Acts chapter 26, we read about his defense. I'm going to start reading here in, in verse 12, okay? And uh, it says in Acts 26, verse 12, uh, it says, On one of these journeys, Paul speaking, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, O king, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in the Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up, stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among all those who are sanctified by faith in me. And I love what Paul says in verse 19. So then King Agrippa I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. I want to be able to say that one day when I stand before the Lord. Don't you? Not disobedient. Isn't that right? God, I did everything you called me to do. I did everything you destined me to do. Let's skip on down to verse 24. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. I'm not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I'm saying, I love this, is true and reasonable. It makes sense. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, 
Do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then King Agrippa said to Paul, Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, Short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, a serious follower of Jesus. May become what I am, except for these chains. Lord, we love your word. It is a lamp to our feet. It's going to shine down right where some of us are today. It's also a light to our path. It shows the next stretch of the journey you already have marked out for us. Father, I simply pray today that as we study your word, that it will be a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. Holy Spirit, you're the ultimate teacher in the room, so teach far beyond where my human words can reach today. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen? Amen. You know, it can be a real eye-opener to look at a passage of Scripture through the lens of biblical honoring in the Great Commission. Now, Becky and I have been saying, God, whatever we can do to fulfill the Great Commission, that's our passion. But I began to look at passages of Scripture through the concept of biblical honoring, and looking at this passage was a real eye-opener for me. The Bible has a lot to say about honoring. Did you know that? In fact, uh, honor is talked about in Scripture as much as obeying. Now, how many sermons have you heard about obeying? Probably a lot more than we've heard about honoring, isn't that right? But the truth is, in the top five translations of the Word of God, the word obey is mentioned 1,081 times, and the word honor is mentioned 1,094 times. The Bible has a lot to say about honor, and when it talks about honor, it's talked about respect, it's talking about splendor, it's talking about weightiness. We get the word kabod, from which we get glory, or the, the alternate ichabod, the glory has departed, this sense of honor, this sense of weightiness and scripture calls us to honor a lot of people first of all we're to honor God with our lives isn't that right uh, Proverbs chapter 3 verse 9 we're to honor parents it's a promise that your days may be long on the earth we're to honor our parents Exodus 20 we're to honor the leaders among us first Timothy chapter 5 we are folks to honor our employers think about that we're to honor our employers, 1 Timothy chapter 6. We're to honor our spouses, Hebrews chapter 13. We're to honor the widows, 1 Timothy chapter 5. The elderly, Leviticus 19. Scripture says, 1 Peter chapter 2, that we're to honor anybody and everybody. Romans 12.10 says this, outdo one another in showing honor. Another version says, honor one another above yourselves. But I like that thought of outdoing one another in showing honor. So scripture pictures an entire society built on the principle of mutual honor. The scripture pictures a kingdom of honor, the kingdom of God. Now, I don't know about you, but there's something really attractive about that for me. Uh, there's something attractive to me, and a church that walks in honor, I believe it will attract a lost world. Would you say amen to that? I mean, let's dream a bit together. Can you imagine a church that cultivates a culture of honor? Can you imagine the power of its witness? Can you imagine its reputation and the reputation the Lord has through that church that cultivates a, a uh, culture of honor? As we honor we paved the way for others to have an extraordinary encounter with God. Serving people, honoring people, it'll build a highway to the heart of that husband that doesn't know God. 
It'll build a highway to that father. It'll build a highway to that employer. It'll build a highway to that neighbor that the Holy Spirit can use to gain access and opportunity into that individual's life. So the scripture pictures a culture of honor. And we're in scripture, we're, we're encouraged to honor for several reasons. First of all, we're to honor people for character. Isn't that right? We're to honor people for position. We're to honor people for accomplishment, and we're to honor people just because they have intrinsic value. They're made in God's image. Pastor mentioned it earlier. They, they, because they're made in the image of God, they're worthy of the life and death of Jesus, no matter what their current lifestyle is. Honoring people for character, I think of a Billy Graham, sterling character. And we honor Billy Graham today for his character as he's honored God his entire life. We honor people for character, but we also honor people for, for position. Parents, bosses, government leaders, presidents, no matter what their character, we're called to honor them. Romans 13, Paul encourages the Roman church to honor and pay respect to their leaders, their government leaders. And you're talking about Nero at this time, who was using Christians to light his gardens at night by setting them on fire. We're to honor for position, I think of David and Saul. My goodness. If anybody had a reason to reject a boss, come on, it'd be David. Isn't that right? Saul's using him for spear practice on a regular basis. And then he's hunting him down like a wild dog, and David is running from cave to cave for his life. And one day he finds Saul sleeping, and he's got him at the end of his spear. And I picture General Joab saying, David, just do it. You can end your misery. Our misery will all be free. But David... He just cut off a piece of Saul's garment, isn't that right? And he felt guilty at that because David knew that he was to honor those that God had put over him. So we're to honor people for position. We're to honor people for accomplishment or life impact. I, I'm, a, I'm an NBA fan. Anybody else NBA fans? I'm, I'm a basketball fan. Come on. I, I, I know that we're from Cleveland and LeBron does not live there anymore. I'm still working on the forgiveness side of that with my, with my buddy LeBron, yeah. Um, but years ago, uh, one of my favorite players in the NBA was a guy by the name of Magic Johnson. He was magic with the basketball. And I honor Magic Johnson today for his accomplishment as a basketball player. Can I honor him for character? Not when he was uh, sleeping with a different woman in every NBA city and contracting AIDS along the way. Come on. And to be fair, he has cleaned up his life. He's monogamous. He's got a beautiful wife. But honoring for accomplishment. We honor, scripturally, for character, position, accomplishment, and intrinsic value. Now, last uh, uh, summer, summer 2011, I was um, in Colombia. Uh, we were setting up our summer broad trip. I was training leaders in Leticia in the southernmost part of Colombia. I took the 13-hour ride on the Amazon from Leticia, Colombia to Iquitos, Peru. Uh, we worked with the uh, local YWAM base there. We were getting ready for our summer abroad trip, and it was time to go back. I had work to do in Letitia before I flew back to the States, and uh, the boat was delayed. Anybody ever get delayed? Anybody hate delays like I do? Just, you know, you, have you found out like I do, uh, like I found out that God does have a reason for delays in our life? Why do we fight them all the time? Huh? But, but we were delayed a day. I was really frustrated. So we're on this 13-hour boat ride back to Iquitos, and the boat stops along the way. People get on, people get off, so on and so forth. And I, I heard a man coming down into the boat, and as he, before I saw his face, I heard him, and I heard him speak English, and he came in the boat, and he sat down right in front of me, 
And um, all, all I said was, where are you from? That initiated a five-hour conversation. Uh, his name was Eric. And um, any of you ever seen those, those beer commercials on TV with the most interesting man in the world? You know what I'm talking about? Come on. You know, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Tell, I, I got to tell you, Eric, to me, is the most interesting man in the world. I met him. It's not the guy on TV. It was the guy in the middle of the boat in the Amazon. And um, he was an older Westerner and a and, uh, few years older than I am. And he, he has his doctorate from the University of Washington in psychology. Uh, in the late 60s and early 70s, during all of his undergraduate and graduate uh, years in college, he told me, he said, I, I, was, I was involved in the drug culture as much as I possibly could be, and I spent all those years in college running from Jesus freaks. Anybody remember Jesus freaks, all right? So he wanted nothing to do with faith. He wanted nothing to do with religion. And for the last 30 years, he's been working on major political campaigns all across Latin America. Very interesting life. A messy life. He was antagonistic toward all things faith. And so um, I said, um, what brought you to Iquitos? And he said, well, I've been uh, the last week with a Peruvian shaman, a witch doctor. We've been out in the Amazon living on, uh, laying on mats all night long, dropping this exotic drug called ayahuasca. Ayahuasca supposedly probes the areas of inner pain in your life and then tells the witch doctor what other drugs to give you to deal with your issues. <laughs> Eric was on a spiritual search. He had no peace in his life. So as, as we talked, he asked the question, so what do you do? I thought, conversation over, and when I told him what I was doing, he was not interested at all. And I'm just, I'm just praying, Lord, how do I keep this conversation? I just felt there was something here. And I felt the Lord say, ask him about his family. So I said, Eric, you got a family? And um, son was in a Costa Rican jail. Wife had left him six months previous. His daughter, Ava, age 28, at age 18, Miss Venezuela, first runner-up Miss USA or Miss Universe pageant, now a very successful network anchor woman in Caracas, Venezuela, with a two-year-old baby girl, stage four breast cancer, 28 years old. Eric's life was totally falling apart, and I was, um, I was drawn to him. Somewhere in all that mess, there was the image of God. And I came to find out as we continued to talk that Eric's grandparents in the 20s and 30s were pioneer missionaries in remote China and Tibet with the Christian Missionary Alliance Church. Eric had an incredible spiritual lineage. His dad followed in his parents' footsteps, became a missionary as well in China and Tibet. His first wife tragically died in her 20s. He got mad and bitter at God and left ministry, left missionary work, got involved with the American uh, military, became a colonel in the intelligence in China because of his Mandarin skills, and, and ended up marrying a beautiful young Jewish atheist. And that explained a lot. Eric was the product of a bitter missionary kid and a Jewish atheist mom. And he was completely messed up. Critical of all things religion and faith. All I can say is that God broke through on that boat. And before that boat docked, my partner and I were laying hands on Eric in the middle of that boat and praying for him to receive Christ. It was an incredible divine appointment. And Eric and I, Eric called it a providential moment. I said, you better believe it. And it, we're, we're still emailing to this day. And I believe on that boat, Eric felt love from God. 
and honor from God's people despite the mess. In fact, as we got off the boat, he said to me, thanks for, thanks for listening. Thanks for not ramming religion down my throat. Thanks for being real and honest with me. Thanks for telling me things I didn't want to hear, but I desperately needed to. Expecting to be judged, he felt safe. And his heart was open to reconsider God and God's word. And weeks later, this was September 8th, he emailed me this. He said, thank you, Randy. He said, I racked my brains, my heart for a reason for this nightmare, speaking of his daughter's cancer. He said, and then it occurs to me, is this my daughter's gift to me to bring me to God? And when I think of it, about it, I burst into tears. For God's sake, literally, there are so many other roads, less painful roads to the same end. And yet, who knows what is in the mind of God? And on October 12th, Ava was taken to Houston, Texas. Uh, uh, she was placed in ICU. They did experimental treatments. And uh, we continued to correspond back and forth. And that December, we were all excited because her body was responding. It looks like she was going to be able to go home for Christmas. And then three days before Christmas, uh, a sudden infection set into her lungs. And like that, Ava was gone. It was in newspapers from Venezuela to Spain. And I thought, God, should I have flown down there? Should I have done more? Could I have done more? And then I got a call from Eric. And he said, Randy, one thing you need to know is that um, Ava's mom talked to me yesterday. Estranged, mom wants nothing to do with God at all. But Ava had confided in her mom a couple of days before she died. She said, Mom, um, last night Jesus came to me in a dream. And Mom, I regret living my entire life as an agnostic. And Mom, can you arrange for me to be baptized. God worked it out. And I thought, would God delay my boat for a day? Because there's a desperate man who had a desperate daughter who had just a few months to live. No matter how messed up their lives have been, they are the fashionably lost. They're all around us. God does, isn't that right? And he did. Biblical honor is all about value. Folks, what we value, we honor. And to live life through the lens of biblical honor influences our attitudes, it influences our feelings, it influences our behaviors, it influences our, our thoughts toward people. When honor is extended to others, people feel accepted and appreciated. When honor is extended, they feel approved, they feel admired, they feel affirmed, they feel acknowledged. From a Billy Graham to a King Saul to an Eric Ekvall deep in the Amazon, as we honor one another, we honor God. Amen? We honor God. And in our text that we read, now how did we get from Acts 26 to honor? Okay, in our text, honoring is everywhere. Paul has honored God with his life, and he's now on his way to martyrdom where he will honor God through his death. And today we honor Paul for all three, isn't that right? We honor him for character, we honor him for position as a great apostle, we honor him for accomplishment as well. Now Herod Antipas II, the Herod in this story, he's a whole nother story. By the way, he's the son of Herod Agrippa I who bitterly persecuted the Christians in Acts chapter 12, who's the son of Herod Antipas who murdered John the Baptist, who's the son of Herod the Great, who murdered all the baby boys in Bethlehem when he was trying to eliminate Jesus and wasn't sure which little boy he was. The Herod in this passage in Acts 26, Antipas II, 
He's the last of the Herods. He's ruthless. Uh, he is living in an incestuous relationship with his own sister. And I ask the question, how do you honor that? And yet here's the Apostle Paul approaching him with respect for his position, with titles of honor. Looking at Herod's life of privilege and pattern of persecution, he looks beyond this. And Saul sees intrinsic value in God's image. And look at Herod's response after the dialogue with Paul. Uh, Herod says, in such a short period of time, Paul, do you really think you're going to persuade me to be a Christian? But uh, I believe Paul's faithful witness and honoring uh, opened up Herod's heart to the work of the Holy Spirit. And God began to work. And, And catch this, Paul was more concerned about the salvation of his persecutors than he was the removal of his own chains. I love this. Paul, um, he, 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 he put reaching the lost as a higher priority than his own circumstances. He put reaching the lost as a higher priority than his own comfort. He put reaching the lost at a higher priority than his standard of living. He put reaching the lost at a higher priority than even his own safety. And here in Acts chapter 26, folks, Jesus was honored through it all. Our God was honored through it all. Our God received glory through every bit of this story. What does it mean to glorify God with our lives? You know, glory is this awesome display of the presence of God. Isn't that right? But, but to glorify God does not mean, you know, that we walk three feet off the ground and our heads are in the cloud and we're totally disconnected with, from reality. I love this definition of glory. To give glory to God simply means this, to enhance his reputation in the eyes of others by the way I daily live my life. That's what it means to glorify God. Because of the way I'm living my life today, God's reputation is enhanced in your eyes and in the eyes of the lost. That's all it is. We can all live every day to the glory of God. Isn't that right? Live every day in a way that we enhance his reputation in the eyes of others. Now, now, when I think of honoring, I also think of those who have gone before us. And for many of us in this room, there are obvious recollection of loved ones who have gone before. But today I'm thinking of those who have set the pace and raised the bar in the mission of God. They have gone before us um, uh, in seeing God's dream for every tribe and tongue realized on planet Earth. I mean, we, I, I love the way this church encourages destiny discovery. God's got a plan for every person in this room, isn't that right? We talk about God's dream for our life. He has been dreaming for you since before the day you drew your first breath. And the, and the most fantastic, exciting, fulfilling life any of us will ever live is the life that's smack dab in the will and the calling and destiny of God. God's got a big dream for you. In fact, all of you under the age of 30, wave at me real fast. I won't make you stand right Where are you guys at, huh? Can, can I, I beg you today, please do not dream too small with your life. God's got big, probably bigger dreams than you have for yourself. Please do not dream too small with your life. But I ask you this question this morning. Uh, does God have a dream? I mean, if there was something that kept God up late at night, anybody stay up late at night? Dream, if there's something that kept God up at late night, Musing in the future, I, I do think God has a dream. 
I think we find his dream in Revelation chapter 5 and Revelation chapter 7, where it says one day around the throne of God, there will be worshipers from every tribe, every tongue, every people, and every nation on the face of the earth. That's the day that God looks forward to. That is the dream of our God. And, um, and so when I think of honoring those who have gone before us in mission, those who dreamed God's dream with him and did everything they good to, could to bring God's dream to pass, you got to start with Jesus, don't you? I mean, at age 12, what's he saying in the temple? Mom, dad, don't you? When he's driving his mom crazy. I mean, Jesus was a 12-year-old. 12-year-olds drive their mom crazy. Isn't that right? 12-year-old boys. Mom, didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? The moment you and I said yes to Jesus, not only did we find a Savior, hallelujah, but we were, in, we were employed in a family business. In Jesus' day, that business was called father and son. Today, it's father, sons, and daughters. It's all of us. We all have a role to play in the family business. Jesus got a hold of this at age 12. And if you want to help the young people in your church, the elementary kids in their church, help them understand that they are a part of a father's business, that they have, a father, that they have divine parentage. That's what Jesus understood. I've got a father in heaven. Divine parentage and divine purpose. He's got a business that I've got a role to play in. Because when 12-year-olds and 13-year-olds and 14-year-olds realize that they have divine parentage and divine purpose, it'll help carry them through those challenging teenage years. All right? John 14, or excuse me, John 4, woman at the well, Jesus says this, my meat, my food, I like meat. Any meat eaters in here? Come on, where's the meat eaters at? You know, I love the t-shirt that said, I didn't climb to the top of the food chain to become a vegetarian. That's me right there, all right? My meat, that which sustains me and satisfies me, Jesus said, my meat is to do the Father's will. And what? And to finish his work. John 17, the night before he went to the cross, he prayed in the garden. And he said, Father, I have finished the work that you gave me to do. This is how the Son honored the Father. And this is how we will best honor the Father as well, by doing everything we can do to finish his work. Today we honor Paul as one who has gone before. He was able to say before Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision and God's call on my life. And today uh, we honor Paul for keeping the main thing the main thing. Amen? And one day Paul will stand before another king, not Agrippa this time, it'll be Jesus himself. And he'll be able to say, Lord, not disobedient. And he'll hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. But the truth of the matter is, is that um, one day we will all stand before that throne. We'll all, aren't you glad in Christ, if you're in Christ, whether we go left or right, heaven or hell, aren't you glad that's already settled? Hallelujah. That's already settled. But we will all stand before that throne one day and give an account of what we did with the Father's dream. As to how we leverage time, talent, and abilities, resources to bring God's one big dream for every tribe and tongue to come to pass. Every person on planet earth leverages his or her resources to do what's most important to them. And I pray that what's most important to us is what's most important to God.
So Paul kept the main thing from the main, the main thing. Missionaries throughout history, we honor those who have gone before us. I love the story of William Carey, part-time pastor, shoemaker in England 300 years ago, had a burden for the nations, and, and, and he went to a group of ministers, and he said, God's called me to India. And you know what they said? They said, sit down, young man. God doesn't need your help. If he wants to reach the heathen in India, he'll do it all by himself. Thank you very much. Praise God, who, William Carey, who's now called the father of modern missions, did not take that as God's final answer. He went to a group of friends, and he simply said this. I love this. If you'll hold the rope, I'll descend into the darkness. Get that image in your heart today. If you'll hold the rope, I'll descend into the darkness. And that's what happened with William Carey, and a group of friends supported him. He ended up translating the New Testament to 23 Indian dialects. He started a hospital. He started a university. It's still going on to this day. And he was used in the transformation of much of India and what God's been doing there for the last 300 years. And he wrote a little book that inspired a generation. They began to leave Oxford, Cambridge, and Leeds, the finest of the finest of Britain, went to evangelize the coastlines of Africa, of India, of Asia, China, and Japan. And, and catch this, um, no cell phones in those days to stay in touch. No Skype, no Facebook, no FaceTime to stay in touch with home. A letter every once in a while. No, no uh no airplanes, you know, Becky and I were 59 hours back from Vietnam with delays. That's a long, long trip, I want to tell you, all right? But this is months on clipper ships just to get to where God has called you. No, no modern medicines in those days to fight off diseases. History tells us, recorded from Westminster Abbey, 19 out of every 20 young adults who left the shores of Britain to evangelize the coastlines of Africa, India, and Asia, 19 out of 20 died within one year. And yet they kept going. What, script, what, what history calls, one historian called a virtual suicidal wave of Great Commission passion. That's what it took to reach tribes and tongues 300 years ago. One ship captain, so irate, a young man was leading a group of friends. And um, the, the uh, ship captain said to this young man, not a believer, the, the ship captain said, Why are you doing this? Don't you know they'll kill you when you land? If they don't kill you, it's just a matter of time before the diseases get you. I love what this young man said. He said, Respectfully, sir, we died before we came here. Hallelujah. We've already lost our lives in Christ. What can people or diseases do to us? We will finish the work. We'll finish the work. The Waldensians before William Carey, a community remote in the Alps Mountains with a great commission passion, they began sending out their young people to dark pagan Europe to plant the church where it had never yet been. You know what they did? They... You think about missionary send-offs and teens and young adults when they do mission work and all that. The Waldensians held the funerals of their young people before they left because they didn't know what part of dark pagan Europe they would ultimately lay down their lives for the faith. Or I think of the Moravians in the 1700s. Five young friends formed a prayer group called the Order of the Grain of the Mustard Seed, which became the Moravian Church. Count, uh, Count uh, von Zinzendorf led that great ministry. And for 110 years, they had a prayer meeting that went on 24-7 for 110 years with three people praying around the clock at all times. And their prayer meeting was focused on the fulfillment of the Great Commission and nothing else. Amazing. They, um, over that 110 years, they sent out 3,000 missionaries from their church. Think about that, Pastor. One missionary sent for every 12 church members during that period of time. The first two, two young men, Dober and Nietzsche, one was a potter, one was a carpenter. They had a burden, for, this was in the slave days, they had a burden for the slaves of the West Indies. And they, 
said to their leadership, we feel God's called us to be missionaries to the slave population of the West Indies. But as they did their homework, they found out the only way, the only way that they would allow to be missionaries there was to sign their lives away to be slaves for the rest of their lives. Now it's decision-making time. That's exactly what they did. Dober and Nietzsche signed their lives away. And on October 8, 1732, they got on that great clipper ship. And as they began to pull out of the harbor with their entire church family there on the dock, they shouted at the top of their lungs, the lamb who was slain is worthy to receive the reward of his suffering. The lamb who was slain is worthy to receive the reward of his suffering. And they went to their God-given destiny, honoring God every step of the way, serving people. That's what it took, and that's why we honor these who have gone before us. Jesus said in John chapter 4, others have done the hard work. It begs the question, will we finish the work? And I love the heart of this church to reach nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And pastor, I, I pray, you know, as I, as I was preparing, I thought, God, make Spring of Life a modern-day Moravian movement. A modern-day Moravian movement. May there be prayer for the nations nonstop. May they send out their best and brightest. May they go to the tough places. And may spring of life impact tribes, tongues, and nations all over this world until Jesus comes because there is a generation of young people in this church destined to shape and shake nations to the glory of God. I believe it with all my heart. But not just missionaries past, but missionaries today. We honor those who have gone before us. Not just in time, but in mission. I told you about Vitalia earlier, the little church planter among her Leituama tribe. What I did not tell you was that um, her dad was a powerful witch doctor in that tribe. Her dad told her mom when she was about to give birth to Vitalia, if it's not a boy, don't even bother bringing it home. In that tribe and in that region, women give birth alone. They go into jungle, they, bring, they give birth, and they bring the babies back to the village. Vitalia's mom went and gave birth, saw it was a little girl, and just left it there for the animals, walked back to the village. Fortunately, an aunt had mercy on her and got to her before the animals did and raised her. And then she has the dream. And then she encounters young missionaries. And then she plants the church of Jesus Christ in her tribe where it had never been before. And last summer... Come full circle. Vitalia baptized her own dad. Hallelujah. She baptized her father. How does something like that happen? God helped her keep the wound of rejection clean so that gangrene would not set into her soul. She learned how to honor her father through the pain. And her honoring of her dad and doing what God had called to do, opened his heart to the reality of Jesus. And today, her father, who said, don't even bring her home, is now a follower of Jesus in his tribe. Glory to God. Glory to God. One more story, and I'll be done. In November 2009, um, a young man by the name of Emilio in the Cubeo tribe and seven of his friends asked us for $50 worth of gasoline to power a boat to get to a part of the Amazon where the gospel had never been before. And along the way, uh, it was a no-brainer, give them $50 for gas. But along the way, they were stopped by the FARC, by the guerrillas. The man was very simple, give us your gasoline. And Emilio very humbly stood up and 
said, I'm sorry, we can't give you our gasoline. It's not ours to give. It's been given that the story of Jesus might travel up river where his name has never been heard before. And they shot and killed Emilio on the spot. He became the first martyr uh, in our ministry. The other seven just buried him in the bank and went on to finish the mission they felt God had given them. And a year later, we were there in the Mitu region um, for two purposes. We had 29 uh, young missionaries working in seven distinct tribes that we were training and encouraging and praying with for a week. But we were also there to verify the details of Emilio's martyrdom. On the second day of that conference, in walks a young lady that I had never seen before. It was Emilio's widow. She was carrying a little baby boy. She was eight months pregnant when Emilio laid down his life for the glory of God. And I stopped what we were doing when I found out it was her, and I said, you know, how, how can we pray for you? And you think about, come on, all the prayer requests a lady in that condition under those situations could have. But here's what she said. Please pray that the little church my husband and I started will regain its courage to reach our entire tribe with the gospel. Tell you folks, in times like that, it's like, who's learning from who here, huh? We have so much to learn from our brothers and sisters around the world. And I said, by the way, what, what did you name your son? What did you name your baby? She said, oh, his name's Emmanuel. <laughs> God is with us. One month after her husband is martyred for the faith, she names her baby boy. God is with us. God is with us. He's called us. He has his hand on our life. He has big dreams for us. We're going to give glory to his name. We're going to honor him despite what happens. God is with us. Every time that young man's name is called across the yard in that village, the whole village is going to be reminded God is with us. This young lady honors the memory of her husband and honors her God. To this day, by finishing what together they started. So how do we best honor Jesus and those who have gone before us, folks? We best honor him by finishing what he started. That's the call on the church. That's a call on each and every one of our lives. Uh, we, we, the baton of God's eternal purposes, they're in your hand. It's in our hands now. It's been passed down through the generations. It is in our hands now, all right? And, and the grandstands of heaven are standing and watching us. Jesus is watching. Paul is watching. Abilio's watching. They're peering over the grandstand saying, how are they going to finish? And are they going to reach every tribe and tongue? Will they sacrifice? Will they do whatever's necessary so that this gospel of the kingdom is preached to every tribe and tongue so that the end may come? Heaven is watching us as the baton is in our hands. And as, as we come to this service, I want you to consider the words of a song written by the, a dear friend of mine. Let this sink in. We've been raised for such a time. History comes to the finish line. And the saints who've gone before watch to see us end our course. I'm abandoned to the captain of the mighty host of heaven. And I pledge him my allegiance until the earth beholds his kingdom. So lay aside each weight that binds and enter in the harvest time until the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our Christ. I'm abandoned to the captain of the mighty host of heaven and I pledge him my allegiance until the earth, the whole earth, beholds his kingdom. Spring of life. I love what God's doing here, and may Spring of Life grow as a culture of honor.
and honor our King Jesus by doing everything possible, every one of us, every person in this room, every life, by doing everything possible to honor our King by finishing his work. Amen. Let's bow our hearts before the Lord in prayer. I just have a simple, simple question as you bow your heart before the Lord today. Who do you need to honor today? Who do you need to honor? For character, for position, for accomplishment, or just because they've been made in the image of God? Who do you need to treat differently today? and honor, that God might open their hearts, that you might form a highway for the Holy Spirit to journey on, to touch that life as you honor someone. And for all of us in this room today, this, this is my prayer. Lord, any nation, any place, any way necessary, use my life to finish your work. Can, can we say that together? Lord, any nation, come on. Lord, any nation. Lord, any place. Lord, any way, use my life to finish your work and to honor your name. If that's your prayer today, Lord, any nation, any place, any way, use my life to finish your work and honor your name. If, that, if that's your heart this morning, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet right where you are. I want the Lord to notice those who are willing to do whatever it takes to honor God and finish the work on planet Earth. God, use our lives. Father, you're, you're looking. You're seeing hearts turn toward you this morning. Hearts who want to make a difference on planet Earth. Emerging young leaders who don't know what the full dream is yet, but they're willing to do, they're willing to go, they're willing to serve. Folks, Jesus has already told us to go into all the world. It's not a question, God, should I go? The question is, God, where do I stop? You've already called me to go. Where do I stop? Father, may this church grow and grow and grow, bringing honor your, to your name from South Florida to the nations. And may it grow and grow and grow as an incredible sending base to tribes, tongues, nations, and kingdoms for the glory of Jesus. Bless Pastor Joaquin, Pastor Yvette, this leadership team. Continue to envision them. Continue to resource the dream, your dream called Spring of Life. Miami, Florida, and we will give you all the praise and the glory. We commit everything we are to the glory of your name and the extension of your kingdom all over planet earth. In the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord, we pray. All the church said amen together. Amen.